0: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just a very short little eulogy on the motherhood of God. Now, some of you um, might have got glimpses of this throughout the years with me. And uh, it's been developing over the years. And uh, I think we need to really focus on the fact as I mentioned at the piano, that that God is, is not a gender. We don't do well to call him a gender, and I think those of you who know me, I will not refer to God and the things of God as DDA, because that's human flesh, that's human biology, DNA. I call it DDA, the divine design attributes of God, because he's a spirit. And, he created man, both male and female, in his image, we're told in Genesis 1.27. And prior to that, he said, both in his image and in his likeness. And we understand that in order to get the fulfillment of the image of God, that God himself did a reset, right? He created Adam, as we discussed and we know, and then he created Eve. And I think I like it better when we say that the fullness of the imaging of God is both Adam and Eve, not Adam. Because we miss a lot of who God is and what He's about if we relegate Him only to uh, a, a, a male vision in our own faith. A little bit about the etymology of the word Eve in Hebrew, it's Hawa. And uh, it's most commonly interpreted to say the living one or the source of life. And so when God himself named Eve, Adam didn't name Eve, God named Eve. He called her Hawa, the source of life. So all of a sudden, God himself delegated that creational aspect to Eve, to Hawa. made such a magnificent person in Eve that he said, it is through this source of life, hawa, that shall come the procreation of my family. E.W. Kenyon once wrote um, The Father and His Family, a book that I enjoyed early on in my days. The Father and His Family, and that everything about Scripture from creation until the return of Christ in in the fulfillment of the kingdom age, whenever it's fulfilled in its entirety, um, is about the reclaiming of the father and his family. And so God entrusted the growth, the building of that family, through the womb of woman and essentially to Eve. Now, in that name also, you'd be interesting to know that in a Arabic uh, interpretation of it, they they changed that name to snake. (laughs) And so when it was ha, it was snake. Hawa was life. Well, I don't know whether they were referring to the fact of her her interaction with the snake in the garden, or whether they were just trying to defame the word of God. Um, So we understand that this woman, Hawa, even by the changing and the interpretation of the name, um, was born into a service that, that had to bear labor fruit. And so woman alone has to bear the labor to bring forth Hawa, to bring forth the living. As you think about that, Can we also think about the pain of the father to separate himself from his son? Do you think that the father understood the pain of having your son go out from you for the first time ever? And not only being born of a woman by the seed of the father, the immaculate conception, of course, um, but also the separation on the cross. And we understand that, that through Philippians chapter two, verses five and on, right, where it says that, "Let this mind be in ye that was also in Christ Jesus, who took it upon himself to be humbled." And we also understand that he gave up his glory so that he could become man, and in that instance and in that understanding that there was a separation that ultimately happened on the cross, and that the Father as the sin was placed upon the lamb of God was totally separated from the son so much that the son cried out and experienced for the first and only time in all of eternity, not just in the history of man, of all of eternity, the separation from the father. Well, there's no greater love here on earth than the love of a mother. Um, It can hurt. The absence of the love of a mother hurts people, and the love of a mother can be tested. And, and when children go sideways on mom, it hurts mom because that love is so spiritual, it's so intense, it's, it's so godly that we pine as parents for our children, and there are children that at some point in their life learn to pine for their parents, honor is the code of heaven and we learn through deuteronomy and exodus it says honor your mother and your father that your days might be long and that you might live well in the land well living well in the land means whatever you do and wherever you find dishonor in parenting there's always dysfunction i've never seen where it isn't There's always dysfunction, but here's the good news. Christ can help repair the dysfunction. And he told through Isaiah, he said, when you were there in your past, there I am. And that's why he's the Alpha and the Omega. That's why he's the forever. That's why he is the I am. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. And he alone can redeem time and fix things in a spiritual realm. He alone can do it. I can tell you this. I can give you testimony after testimony after testimony of believing mothers and grandparents who didn't let go of children who have lived to see their children come back to them and to God. Don't let go. Don't let go. No matter what you hear. No matter what you see, no matter what you don't see, don't let go because that love, that nurturing love is best manifest as we understand it in the female gender here on earth. And if there is a dysfunction, and there's many, there's many dysfunctions. I don't know about you, but if you've had more than one child or two, you've had your challenges. You get three or four, you have your challenges. You have the one or at least the two that you say, "I don't know where this child came from, and even though you might have brought them up in the ways of the church and other things, all of a sudden they're a rebel, and lo and behold, they go off to college and they come back a maniac and of course, none of us did, did we? None of us went out and sowed our oats and I don't know about you, but I came through the flower time of that generation. And it's odd to me that some people in this generation want to relive that generation. I said, oh, if you only knew, you wouldn't want to touch that. So we rebel. It's, it's, it's in our spirit to rebel. But the nurturing, and, and this is where we should garner some real appreciation for the nurturing power of God that is but most manifest in the heart of a mother. God, his grace, and his mercy endure forever. The grace and love of a mother endures forever. I don't care what words have happened between people. I can tell you that in that hour, in that moment, a mother pains in their heart for the child. Always. No matter how they've been rejected or dejected or abused, whatever it is, either way, there's a pain in the heart. Because God has placed that from his spirit. And we understand that the nature of God, we learn through the word of God, don't we? And as we learn that through the word of God, there's just a few scriptures before I share with you the conversation that I baited you with on my email that happened between God and Adam and the angels. There's some scriptures that I want to share with you. Now, um, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, 11. Now you might want to call these the feminine characteristics of God. I call them nurturing. Um, Don't ever cross the line as some you know, way out liberal feminist positions take and say he's she, or you know, he's a woman. No, God is not a gender, God is a spirit, but as we've just discussed, the best imaging we get of God is both male and female, Adam and Eve and his own word. So God cares for his people like an eagle. That's hovering over her. And he says, there's an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young that spreads its wings to catch them and carry them aloft on its wings. What a wonderful vision, isn't it? And boy, you know, there's this one species of bird. I haven't quite figured out what it is. I'll have to bring Bing over to my house because he knows that stuff. It's a little nasty little bird, smallest little thing. And it never goes away from the moment we moved into our home. When I'm cutting the grass, that thing starts to, to dive bomb on me. And it always finds another pal and the two of them dive bomb on me. And they just have the greatest delight to torment me the whole time I'm cutting the grass out in the field. And if I go in and think, okay, they're going to go away, I come back in, they start dive bombing on me again. And I have to confess to my wife, I have been packing my nine millimeter recently. <laughs> just, just, you know, just because I can, right. And it's been going on now for four years, and they don't go away. I would think in the winter, maybe they'd die or something would happen, or they go on to torment somebody down south where it's warm and forget how to come back. I, they don't, go away. And I've come to the conclusion that they're protecting something. And I've yet to find the nest, but I find little inklings of things and I'd love to have a conversation with them and say listen I'll build you a birdhouse you could that's yours this is mine and we'll get along together very well. But a mother wants to gather those babies in their wings, and as it says, hovers over its young, hovers over its young, and then spreads its wings to catch them. Now, we all know the story about the eagle, right, that pushes its youngs out of the nest so that they finally learn to fly, but what we don't know and isn't often talked about is that that eagle still has a watching eye over that young one to make sure that in its small, fragile state, when it can't compete against another fowl or another foe, it's there to protect the watchful eye of the mother. Another good scripture. God is concerned for his people like a midwife or somebody that is caring for the child as it's being delivered because the mother is obviously not able at that point. Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10. And in that whole psalm of 22, it's it's a prophetic description of the passion of Jesus Christ. Read it with the understanding that the psalmist was seeing in the Spirit about the crucifixion of Christ, his dissension, and, and, and what he had to put up with. Bulls with gaping mouths trying to devour him and torment him. And, 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 and this is what he writes. This is the words of the psalmist that, that captured the heart of Christ to his own father. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. Stop. Jesus, the Son of God. This is prophetic of Jesus. These, this is a messianic psalm even the rabbis call it messianic of the of the messiah it's a messianic psalm and it says you who brought me out of the womb and taught me to trust in you for everything even at my mother's breast god begins to deal in activating and bringing forth the destiny of a child at the mother's breast why the breast because that's where the child's nurtured at that's where the milk is fed that's where the nourishment comes and so we get this intimate understanding of God and His children. Even at that first moment of nurturing, God is at work. The mother is at work. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Don't be far from me, for trouble is near. There is, there is none other to help me. You know... Um, There's something very interesting about the Italian culture, especially in Italy. The daughters leave and the sons don't. The daughters get married, they get them married off, they go to be with somebody. But in the Italian culture, they're having a big problem because they have a bunch of lazy Italian bum sons that won't leave the house because mama does their clothes, mama feeds them, they don't have to pay rent, and mama doesn't want to let go. And the sons say, ah, I got a good thing going here. I can't think I could find a wife that'll do everything that mama's doing. And, and so it, it says, there's no one to help me. Sometimes there's over-nurturing, isn't there? Sometimes there's a soft touch without hard love. Mamas fail sometimes on the side of hard love they do very good on the side of soft touch. Hard love's a tough thing. But we see that hard love is a component of what God wants in the nurturing process because of the hard love that he had, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son. What kind of love can you have greater than that? So there's a love that comes also in that kind of nurturing. Another scripture, Isaiah 49, 14 through 16, God never forgets his children just like a mother never forgets their nursing child. God will remember Zion. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. And then the spirit asked this question, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I won't forget you because I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. God relating in relationship with motherhood. God saying spiritually that he has written your names upon his hands and they are ever before him. But he relates it to the fact of a mother who will never forget the child that came out of her womb. So we understand again that special connection of the motherhood of God, those characteristics of God that understands the birthing that happens. Isaiah sixty-six thirteen. 13. God comforts his people like a nursing mother. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? And of course, we know that relates prophetically to the nation of Israel, May 15th, 1948. You know, I want to do a little diversion about it because I was reading something about um, Harry S. Truman. I shared it with my wife. She didn't get as excited about it as I did, but she placated me, probably said, there he goes, he's off into his stuff. And it was, uh, why are you laughing, Don? What are you laughing about hiding over there? I see you little glow still hitting your head from that one light and it's bouncing on my eyes. So Harry S. Truman um, was born uh, in back in the 1880s, back in that number. And uh, first thing he did was he pursued his wife for eight years on a farm. And she kept telling him, no, 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 no. Eight years. It's almost like a Laban story, right? Eight years. He finally, finally convinces her to be his wife. Interestingly enough, he went to school with a Jewish fellow named Jacobson, and they—they they, at one point, they both went to war, and somehow they ran into each other over in the war, and they started up a uh, latrine together, and they both uh, serviced it together because people needed it, and they became dear friends. When they came back to Kansas, they opened up a haberdashery to make hats, that's why he always had those nice hats. You ever saw him with those hats? He was a haberdashery guy. He was a hat guy. And that was their business together. Well, he ran for a local office and he won. And then he became a judge and he won. And then he ran for Senate and he won. And then he was picked as Roosevelt's vice president for political reasons, because they needed those electoral votes from that area. And something very strange happened. Roosevelt, while he was very sickly, on his way and traveling, met with the, uh, the emir of Saudi Arabia and made a promise to him that the United States would never recognize a Jewish state in Palestine. That was his promise. That was Roosevelt's promise. And he made that promise to him and he came back and he reaffirmed it. And the United Nations had been formed And they were just getting going right after the war. And he then put it in writing, and it was published. And he said, as long as I am president, (laughs) as long as I am president, I will never recognize the Jews have an inherent right to Palestine. Guess how much longer he was president after that? One week. One week. Seven days. One week. Guess who became president? Truman. Truman became president, and he really didn't have an understanding about God and Zion and a nation being born in one day, and God never letting go of his love for his child, the motherhood of God for Israel, the one he calls his daughter, Jerusalem, the apple of his eye, his family, his people, his daughters, his daughters, oh my, you want to get a father to a fist fight. Let the daughter come home and tell him some guy just abused her. There's going to be some trouble. So God is angry. Whatever happened to Roosevelt, I don't know where he ended up, but he wasn't on earth for more than seven more days. And Harry Truman steps in, and there's a fellow named Wiseman, an old Jewish guy, comes all the way over from Europe to meet with him. And all he wants is an audience with Truman to explain to him why, because Truman was a godly guy and quoted scriptures. He wanted to tell him why in the scriptures it was time for Zion, a child of God to be born in a day. Truman wouldn't meet with him. He didn't, he didn't meet with him because he was anti-Semitic. He didn't meet with him because who's this Wiseman guy going to come meet with the president of the United States? Who's this old fellow? But, his old haberdashery partner, named Jacobson. He gets a hold of him and he said, would you please meet with this old man who came all the way from Europe? Do it for me as your friend. Think about that. A relationship that was born out of having a hat business together in Kansas years before. So Truman being a good friend, he says, sure, tell the old man to come to the White House. I'll give him a few minutes. And the old man takes them through scripture and Truman's heart changes. And he says, where's our ambassador right now? And they said, the ambassadors in the UN just starting to give his speech where the United States is not going to support the establishment of the nation of Israel in Palestine. Right at that moment, at the lectern, at the lectern, at the microphone, get a moment, think about this a moment. God, Moves just in time, puts everything in place. Israel being regathered for how long was it waiting since the fall of the temple? How long were they scattered into the diaspora? A little less than 2,000 years. 2,000 years, God's moving everything on heaven and earth to get it right ready for a moment. Someone gets in the way, he yanks them out. Somebody else is there with the authority, he pushes it in. The ambassador's there to fulfill the will of his country and his president. And he gets a cable from Truman, says, stop. You tell them the United States supports it. And he throws his speech away. And he goes up to the lectern. And he said, the United States votes that Israel become its own nation. Who would believe the report of the Lord that a nation would be born in a day? May 15th, 1946 eight. Now, let me fast forward you this so that you get the understanding of the motherhood of God. So that you get the understanding of how God never slumbers or sleeps and his mercy and grace never stops. And his mind, his eye is always on the sparrow. Is that what's been bugging me, doc? A sparrow? Do I have a sparrow that's been after me? I don't know. Doc, you need to come out, get a picture. Maybe it's a sparrow. Maybe my eye's supposed to be on the sparrow. I don't know. God's always got his eye out for his plans and purposes. So here we go forward. Most of you know my story a little bit. I don't really here to talk my own story, but I want you to get this point because it hit me between the teeth while I was right between the eyes while I was reading about Truman and what happened with God intervening to make that. When I first came to the Lord in 1980, the Lord said to me that, that I would be able to serve my people because that was my prayer. And I became aware of the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, my wife and I, some four years later. And they were established as the Christian embassy in Jerusalem because all the other embassies left before the Intifada. Out of saying, we don't agree that Jerusalem should be one city for the Jews. So they pulled out. So Christians established an embassy and said, the Christians will have an embassy there to fulfill the word of God. And there I come straggling in. I don't understand a thing. My wife and I are there, and I get involved with them. And one of their passions is what? To establish the embassies of the world and the nations in Jerusalem, where God said all the nations of the earth would come up in that day to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. So prophetic. And so I wait these years and I'm wondering what, what, when, when, how, what, what am I supposed to do? I'm just a little voice nowhere. What, what, what? And then all of a sudden, somehow I get hurled into the presidential campaign and I prophesy that this crazy guy coming down an escalator with crazy hair that I didn't know and didn't even like and had no relationship with was going to be the president. And I got a lot of people turned on me, but one thing it did do was take me up out of Darkness and put me on a position, and there I am as as one who's sending advice into the campaign, and where there was nobody else, there was very few. Now, now there's all kind of faith people that have jumped on the train. There was nobody; they were after other people. There was a few of us, but none of them with the political aptitude, which happens to be my degree in political science and philosophy. Go figure. And so. This man Donald J Trump goes to speak at APAC he's fending for votes and Ted Cruz is the superstar there he gives a railing speech and knocks it out of the park and says all the right words and the Christians are going crazy because at APAC are the Christians that are Zionists they believe that Israel has a biblical right to the land and that they are promised of God and that Jesus is returning to Jerusalem And so what kind of a speech you want to give there? You want to give one that agrees with those things if you really want to be accepted. And here's a man who had no biblical knowledge of it whatsoever. None. And they asked me to give him a a three-point speech. I gave him a five-point. And he used it word for word. And one of the first things was that when I'm president, I will finally move the embassy to Jerusalem and recognize it as the eternal city of God. place goes nuts. It's in March of 2016. All of a sudden, he starts going up. Crew starts going down. He goes like this. And sure enough, when he gets the opportunity, he moves the embassy to that city. Now, If it wasn't for my relationship with a businessman that knows him very well, I would have had zero access to him. Same as Truman. But God used it for a definitive moment in time. And because of that, do you know why this country has been blessed the last couple years up until this COVID interruptions? Because we blessed Israel. Forget about all the other politics. Forget about tax credits, and all the other things you want to talk about. Those who bless her shall be blessed. Those who curse her shall be cursed. That's how much the heart of God nurtures his daughter. That's the motherhood of God. That's the love of God. God will never forsake Jerusalem or Israel, and he'll never forsake you because he loves you with the same love. Your, name, your name's written before his hands. And, and he puts them before his face. Now, how many of you have seen what kibitzing is? You know what it is when you, a Jew prays? Right? And, and uh, usually with each prayer, it's seven or ten times. So as they're saying the prayers, and then if you're really going at it, you don't quit. And uh, they, they call them minions. A lot of times ten come together. And you need 10 to have the fulfillment of the minion. And my wife would laugh because times when we were flying on LL, just busted, broke, God sending us to Israel. And uh, they would look at me reading uh, a black book. So they figured I was a religious Jew. They didn't realize it was a whole Bible. And they were looking for the minion and they could only get seven or eight. So they come and tap me on the head and they go. And I say, okay, we go to the back of the airplane and I do minions with them. And uh, they're praying in Hebrew, and I'm praying in the Spirit. And uh, this go on for about an hour, and we come back. I said, it's a good thing, honey. I got to pray with them. I got exercise. You know, it was stretching a little bit. It was good. Then we get off the plane. They're waving to me like I'm their long-lost friend. Well, it's minions. Because the hands like this, because the names are written on the hands of God forever. Adonai. 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 Do you feel the anointing? Do you feel the spirit of God? That's the Lord. And that's the Lord. When he turns his hands like this, your name is seen by every angelic spirit. They see your name, Eric. They say, son of God. They see your name, Pat. They see your name. They see your name. And they say, oh on his hands the motherhood of god now i'm going to close with this i told you i was going to share with you a conversation that you probably never heard of before maybe you did if you were with me and i really wasn't going to give it but as i was looking at it i sensed that the lord was telling me to share it again today The author of this is unknown. Um, But this is a conversation that potentially was between Adam and his angels and God when God created woman. A very special conversation. And it starts off this way. By the time the Lord made mothers... He was into the sixth day of working overtime. And an angel appeared and said, Why are you spending so much time on this one, this being of creation? Lord, you just said, let there be fish, there were fish, let there be this, there was that, let there be this, there was that. But this one, you're having an explanation with Adam. You're telling him it's not good to be without this Without somebody, without a helpmate, and now you're preparing him for deep surgery. We just gave him anesthesia. He's laying down. You're taking out the knife. What are you doing, God? And the Lord answered, and he said, have you seen the specification sheet on this woman, Eve? She has to be completely washable, but not plastic. She has to have 200 Movable parts, each one replaceable. She has to be able to run extra hard and overtime on black coffee and to make something wonderful out of leftovers. She has to have a lap that can hold three children at one time and that disappears when she stands up. She has to have a kiss that can cure anything from a scraped knee to a broken heart. And also have six pairs of hands, but only two. The angel was amazed, astounded, and cried out. Six pairs of hands? No way, said the angel. And the Lord replied, oh, it's not the hands that are the problem. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers need to have. And that's just on the standard model? The angel asked, and the Lord nodded in agreement. Yep, one pair of eyes are to see the closed doors as she asks her children what they're doing, even though she already knows. Another pair in the back of her head are to see what she needs to know, even though no one thinks she can. And the third pair are here in the front of her head, there for looking at an errant child and saying that she understands and loves him, without the child ever saying a word. And the angel tried to stop the Lord. He says, Lord, this is too much work for one day. Let's wait until tomorrow to finish this complicated project, but I can't, the Lord contested. I'm so close to finishing this creation that is so close to my own heart. She already heals herself when she is sick, and she can feed a family of six on a pound of hamburger, and she can get a nine-year-old to stand in the shower. And the angel moved closer, and he touched the woman And he said, but Lord, you've you've made her so soft. She's soft. Oh, she is soft, the Lord agreed. (laughs) But I've made her tough. You have no idea what this woman can endure or accomplish. The angel, will she be able to think, Lord? The Lord replied, not only will she be able to think, she'll be able to reason, and man, can she negotiate. The angel then noticed something and reached out and touched the woman's cheek. Oops. Looks like you have a leak with this model. I told you, Lord, you were trying too fast. We should have waited one more day to finish this complicated project. The Lord chuckled. That's not a leak. That's a tear. What's the tear for? The angel asked. The tear is her way of expressing her joy, her sorrow her disappointment, her pain, her loneliness, her grief, her love, and her pride. The angel was so impressed. He said, Lord, you are indeed a genius. You thought of everything. Mothers are amazing. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus. That's according to the book of Amedia. So, if you're looking for it, I take full authority.